Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And um, unfortunately, yesterday, because of some scheduling challenges, we were not able to record. Uh, but Lord willing, uh, this morning, obviously, we're getting to record. And then tomorrow, we're planning to wrap up our study on the passage we looked at last Sunday. And so we are in our third part uh, of our series. And I'd like to encourage you to look with me at uh, verses 4 through 8 together. So again, that's Luke chapter 7, and we're in verses 4 through Here's what uh, the text says. It says, And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter into my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, uh, saying uh, to one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Now, this is a, a very intriguing portion of the text that we've been looking at, because really what it's going to do is it's going to get into the heart of the worldview of the man who has asked Christ to heal his servant, and the people that he has asked to go on his behalf and speak to Christ. So the focus of this is really a contrast to two worldviews. I want to remind you again of those points, uh, those key words to understanding the passage that we talked about over the last couple of of, uh, sessions. And that is the word authority. Christ has the authority to do what he's doing. Mercy, that's the motivation behind what he's doing. And then perspective. And that's really the focus of this portion of the text. What was the perspective of the Jewish leaders? And what was the perspective of this man uh, who was a Roman centurion? So let's talk for a minute about the religious leaders and their perspective. Really, we can see this in verses 4 to 5. It says this, They besought him instantly, saying that he was, here's the word, worthy for whom he should do this. They believed that the man who was a Roman centurion deserved to have this done on his behalf because he had done good things. He said, they said he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. So the whole point is that they're trying to establish a basis to prove that he's entitled to God showing him kindness. On the other side, we see how the centurion speaks. And we see that in verses 6 through 7. He says, Trouble not thyself, I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. For neither thought I myself worthy to thee. Really, the as he says, I am not worthy. That's why he sent his friends. That's why he tells the Lord, don't come to my house. And he sends the religious leaders on his behalf. He says, I'm not worthy. So you see this contrast of viewpoints. The religious leaders do this for him. He's worthy. And here's all the things that he's done. This man, he says, I'm not worthy. You don't even need to come to my house. I know your power. I know your authority. He makes no attempt to establish or to prove that he's entitled to this favor. So really, what's the point? Well, one person believes that God is indebted to them. The other person says, God doesn't owe me anything. I'm just, I'm pleading for his mercy. One is attempting to build a case uh, in the defense of the other. And the other person is saying there's really no case to be made. You see the difference between those two? One believes they can somehow twist God's arm, manipulate him in some way. The other says, my only hope is your mercy. 
really these two contrasts are at the heart of the gospel. And when Jesus says uh, that he, when the text says that Jesus marveled and he said, I've not found so great a faith, not in Israel, he's really ultimately saying, out of all the people that I've interacted with, this man, who is a Roman centurion, is the one who really gets it. Well, what is the heart of what Jesus is saying? Well, the heart is that this man was humbled and he saw that there was no righteous basis for him to be accepted by God or any righteous basis that he could appeal to. Let me get really practical about this. When it comes to this issue of salvation, this is really at the heart of the gospel. For instance, in Romans 3, 27, it says, where is boasting then? We conclude a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Or later on in chapter 4, verse number 4, he says, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even David describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed uh, is, is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to, to whom the Lord does not impute sin. You see, at the heart of the gospel is the idea that we don't earn our way to God's forgiveness. He grants it by grace alone. We are justified not on the basis of our own righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of another, the Lord Jesus Christ, a righteousness that's outside of us. And we really see this in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul talks about his own personal testimony. He says it this way, he says, "...touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless." If, if, if there was anybody that could have earned their way to God through the keeping of the law, he says, I could have. I was a Pharisee. I was a very strict person. But the Apostle Paul understood there was really no basis for him to be able to come into God's presence. And so he says later in the passage, he says, but the things that were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. And I count them but dung that I might win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but that righteousness which is uh, by God through faith, the righteousness of God, which is by faith. The Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans 3 that you don't get saved by keeping the law. Romans 4, if you could work your way to God, you would be Indebted, And he says, my own personal testimony, Philippians chapter 2, is that before my conversion, I believed I could earn my way to God. And there came a point where I had to turn from that self-righteousness, that dependence upon my own good deeds, and I had to turn to God, see those things as rubbish, as worthless, as having no value in being able to make me acceptable to God. And I had to rest alone in the righteousness of Christ. I had to have that imputed to me so that God could declare me righteous on the basis of an imputed righteousness, not a righteousness that is in and of myself. So we understand that this is at the heart of the gospel. If I'm trusting in anything but Christ and Christ alone, I don't understand the gospel. But the truth is it goes beyond just how we get saved. It also goes into how we think after we're saved. And we really see this quite a bit in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the distinct difference between a person who believed that their religious acts, the good things that they do, somehow merited God's favor versus the way that a genuine believer thinks, one who understands his position is by grace alone. For instance, acts of mercy. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, he says, When you do your alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Another way that, to put that is he's saying, don't think about what you're doing and think that somehow you're meriting God's favor because 
of what you're doing. Take no thought for what you give to people because that doesn't give you a standing with God. Or, for instance, the issue of public prayer. How many people, uh, in their minds, that's one of the ways they kind of express that they know God or they walk with God. In a very self-righteous religious situation, that's exactly what people see public prayer as. And so in Matthew 6, 5, he says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites who uh, love to pray standing in the synagogue, and coming to the street corners to be seen of men, they have their reward. He says, don't do your acts of mercy so that you're earning God's favor. Don't pray publicly so that people think that you're righteous. Even in private prayer, when he talks about how we go to God in prayer, in verses 7 and 9 of Matthew 6, he says, when thou prayest, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard by their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, your father knoweth what you have need of before you ask him. After this manner pray, therefore our father which art in heaven. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying, When it comes to your standing before God, when it comes to how people perceive you, when it comes to how you express a genuine love for God, it's not a building credentials kind of a self-righteousness, but rather it's, it's understanding I stand in a position by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I didn't earn that position. I can't strengthen that position. I can't diminish that position. I'm in that position because of what God has done for me and because of what God has imputed to me. So here are the questions I want to ask you just in thinking about this very practically. Which of the two worldviews really represents how you think? You might say, well, I'm a Christian. I've placed my faith in Christ. I understand that the gospel is not something, uh, is not the message of keep the law and through keeping of the law you can earn your way to God. I understand that it's Christ alone. It's his death, his resurrection, his righteousness. I understand that good. But here's the second question. Do you live as if what you do is not, we could say, trying to keep you in that position or trying to earn a stronger position or you're afraid that your position might be weakened? Why do you do what you do as a Christian? Really what it comes down to is we should look at it this way. I'm in this position by grace alone. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God has called me his child. And as someone who's a child of God, I'm free from the bondage of sin. I have no obligation to walk as I once walked. And as a child of God, I'm going to live like what I am. That's really what it ultimately comes down to. So it's not about strengthening your position or staying in the position as much as it is reckoning your position and living in the light of that position. So I ask the question, why do you do what you do? What is compelling you in your motivation? My prayer is that as we think about this passage of scripture, we would recognize that we need to think like the centurion did. We need to recognize that we are not worthy. We enjoy a wonderful position because of God's grace. We didn't earn it. We don't have to do something to keep it. We simply need to live in the light of who we are. That's my challenge to you this morning. I wanted to also mention that uh, this Sunday we put together a tool that I think will be, I hope, a big help to you. Um, we're we're going to go through our preaching schedule for the year. And so uh, if you look from January 1st all the way down to Easter Sunday, you can see what the text of Scripture are that we're going to be preaching in the morning service and in the evening service. And you can also see what the focus of our morning service is going to be. 
And then on the back, we also have some information about Bible reading plans that we have. One is a through the Bible reading plan, so you can go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Generally, you read about two Old Testament chapters a day and two New Testament chapters a day. There's also a through the Bible chronologically, and then there's an additional um, reading plan uh, place that you can find some of those. So I hope that you'll pick these up on Sunday if you're a part of our church congregation. If you if you don't attend our church and you're interested in getting one of those, uh, just email me and I'd be glad to uh, send you that information because I think that can be a help to you as well. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And Lord willing, tomorrow we will wrap up our study uh, on this first passage that we're looking at in the new year, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now.